because making games is easy. Right? Right. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick. And um, there are a lot of times we see games, stuff like... Mm, Duke Nukem Forever. We know that they've been in, you know, you can use the term development hell. They've been around for a long time and you know things aren't going to pan out well. And when they don't, you're not exactly surprised. But there's a whole swath of other games that are kind of like that, where, you know, we don't really consider what it's like for people who work on them. The people who work on games that, those kinds of games that you don't know who it's for, the kind of games that you're just baffled that this got made in the first place. And you wonder, who thought this was a good idea? And guess what? A lot of the people who work on those games think the same things. And to talk about that, I have brought on first-timer Mike. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm good, Nick. Thanks for having me on. All right. Uh, Mike and I have worked a lot in the past on probably a number of games that would fall into this category, wouldn't you say? Yes, that, that's absolutely correct, Nick. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's there's games that are like, you know, you can say Duke Nukem Forever. You could say Daikatana, these totally cursed productions. And they, I, I definitely feel bad for the people that had to work on them, especially on Duke Nukem Forever, those poor engineers who had their, their, Resumes and their experiences just stunted for a decade. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, the, those other games, those, those people who work on those mobile, uh, something like those mobile games that are clearly clones or the, um, let's say I, I this is a, uh, uh, an example I keep going to is iCarly 2 on the Game Boy Advance thing you see it's got this you can find pictures of this online these huge huge cardboard boxes just filled with cartridges that were getting thrown away it's almost ET levels of overproduction for this game apparently I feel bad for the people who were working on these games and because because you know they know it's not going to do any good they know it's garbage a lot of these licensed games then you know occasionally you have a good licensed game but a lot of them are just wastes of space you know um, so, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, some of your experiences yeah, on some yeah, of these, Yeah, you know, I, I think the way, the way I've kind of approached dealing with projects that I knew that, uh, had very, very slim chance of success was I tried to find a nugget of, uh, positivity related in these projects. Um, there was quite a few games that I've worked on where you, you clearly understood from the day the deal was signed that they had no chance of success. Uh, and any kind of endeavor that the, that the development team, production team, marketing teams made wasn't necessarily for naught, but, you know, it was very, very, they are basically spinning their wheels. Um, but I think the way I've, I've tried to approach it is uh, find positivity, find um, specific things that you can rally around, um, whether that be hitting your, your milestone dates, um, whether that's, uh, you know, improving a certain aspect of the game, um, just finding anything you can to, uh, to kind of motivate you day to day to, uh, to come to work, do your best, 
is the way that I've tried to approach it. And, you know, like you've said, Nick, we worked together for, for many, many years, uh, quite a few companies together. Um, different types of games we've worked on, you know, like, like you were saying, licensed game, non-licensed game, uh, strategy games, uh, sports games. And I can definitely say that um, it's tough uh, dealing with those situations, especially when you have other people on these projects that clearly know that the games are not going to be successful. And they come to work every single day with that attitude that the games are not going to be successful. Um, and and it's, it's a natural thing. You know, when, when, you're, when you're coming to work, when you're spending eight to nine hours of your day, um, sometimes even more, um, partaking in an activity that you know is going to be uh, not fruitful, it's, uh, it can be demoralizing. Uh, it, can be, uh, it can be very, very difficult. But I think that um, as long as you can find some nugget of, of, of thing to latch on to and, and say that you optimize this thing, you optimize that thing. I think that's the way you, uh, you deal with it, generally, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think this might be one area where QA probably has an edge over <laughs> any other aspect of game development because QA kind of has to be cynical assholes in the first place. <laughs> so QA can just sit there and get into like an echo chamber of negativity. And if you've got a good lead and good people coming together, you can just channel all that negativity into the work and just be like, just like hate bugging it. You just bug stuff for spite. They're like, I don't want to work at this, so I'm going to find every petty little thing wrong. And if you can keep everyone together doing that kind of finding every petty little thing wrong and keep them focused enough to make them all valid, yep. you can get some good stuff out of that, actually. No, and, yeah. of, and, of course, you can get all kinds of good stories, which is, you know, it's like playing Dungeons & Dragons. It's like half the reason to do it. <laughs> but, yeah, I, one of the things that can go into some of these projects is, I don't know, somewhere in the process there's an inherent misunderstanding of market needs. Um, it's like, let's say, okay, uh, uh, Castle Clash is popular, right? Okay, Castle Clash is popular. We, we, we can do that. And also Clash Royale is popular. Okay, they're both Supercell games, but I'm, I'm going somewhere with this with Clash Royale. So you got a combat city builder game and like a card battle-ish type of game. So what happens if we can combine like card collecting with combat city builder? Ooh, we can attract both segments like no no you're going to attract the overlap the people who like both of them which is probably going to be a lot smaller i mean i i listed castle clash and clash royale which are both really popular and probably have a lot of interest in overlap but you know the point remains is like okay people like first person shooters and basketball games let's let's smash those together we're gonna have a first person basketball game that's that has first person shooter mechanics you know like uh because as I'm describing this off the top of my head, a first-person basketball game kind of sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I think my point is clear, that, that you're actually targeting the overlap and not the, uh, the, uh, the union of both groups. Yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, those, those decisions that are made are made at the very, very... Uh, basically, when the deal is signed. I mean, those are those pretty much put a stake in the heart of a project when you when you actually move forward with a with a concept um, or a proposal that is not thought well thought out um, you know one of the one of the things that I've seen in the past is 
you sign up you sign up a project you start working on it and then you start looking at market research to see if it's, if it's going to be successful you should really start doing that before you actually sign the project uh, identifying what kind of market there actually is for this um, is the market trending down is it trending up is it stagnant uh, are there major players in the market that are going to basically push you out you know we, <laughs> we see we see the you know Machine Zone, for example. I mean, they're they're saturating the market with with advertising, uh, with their games, and yeah. there are other clones that are coming out that are trying to make these kind of menu based RPG games. But you know, it, it's it's tough to compete against Machine Zone unless um, you've got a game that's actually really really fun. And these types of games aren't necessarily built on fun; they're built on um, kind of these core loops that are uh, somewhat addictive. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and it's tough to compete. So. Uh, when, when, when the deals are being signed, that's, that's when the real time needs to be taken to identify, is this actually going to be something that works? Because you sign a deal, your team starts working on it. Unless you have a project lead or a producer or whoever's driving the project day to day that actually believes in the vision and can communicate that in a way that doesn't sound phony, you're going to have a situation where everyone below is just going to feel like this has no shot. Uh-huh. So it's 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 kind of twofold. One is signing the proper deal, and two is is having people at the top that are working on it day to day believe in the vision of this game. And and if they don't believe in the vision, it's going to be tough to get anyone else to kind of believe in it as well. Yeah. By the way, I should have mentioned this at the top. In case anyone's listening to this and think we sound weird, this is uh, this is kind of like the um, the E three and GDC. Uh, episode I did with Marco where we're actually in the same room talking. We don't usually do this, so there's a few other sound effects that you're going to hear, like I, you might have just heard a door opening. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll see if I can clean some of this up in post. Um, right. Uh, another thing I wanted to touch on was uh, you were talking about, you know, some people, when faced with a project like this, you might feel a little uh, demoralized or dragged down and, and like you or I are going to like you try to find the, the nugget of positivity and, and I'm in QA where we just like to tear stuff down so if we hate stuff we'll tear it down anymore but another thing that I've actually talked about with Marco is trying to underscore the point that most everybody in the game industry really wants to make a good product you know and that's why you know sometimes maybe you know, you and I can't necessarily speak directly to why these things originate in the first place. Like, we can give a little bit of insight, but um, when it comes to actually doing the execution, because everyone actually wants to do a good job, who's actually in the business of implementing it and, and various other things, if we feel like we're behind the eight ball, and we feel like there's no chance, then, yeah, that's part of why you would get a bit demoralized because you don't want to work on... We're not here just to make money. Mm -hmm. We want to make things that people will enjoy. And that's why I said, you know, oh, those poor people who, you know, if someone was... One of the team working on No Man's Sky was hearing stuff that that What's-His-Name was saying about what's going to be in the game, and you're like, oh, no, people are going to be upset about that. Like, listening to you know, statements that players are going to interact with each other. And, and, and some, I, I am almost certain some engineer was working to try to actually make that a thing. And he hears the guy saying that on late night TV and he's just, you know, smacking his head to the desk saying, shut up. <laughs> just, 
probably why he hasn't said anything for a while either. Mighty quiet for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get your foot out of your mouth. Yeah. And and that, and that goes to um, the point where everyone on the team should, as much as possible, try to be on the same page in terms of outward-facing communication. Um it's good to market your product. It's good to hype your product. It's good to sell your product. But at the same time, you need to um, base it in uh, some realism. And um, you know, having features or specific aspects of a game where it's not so hot, you, you, you want to avoid those because you're going to get called out on it. I mean, the internet stuff on the internet never never goes away, so everyone's going to be able to. Go back and say, "Hey, you said this," but uh, in actuality, it's 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 not. And I think we're we're seeing that in No Man's Sky uh, with a lot of the reviews. I think the way they hyped that game up, um, you know, they they made it sound like it was going to be the, the best thing since sliced bread, and uh, it just didn't live up to expectations. I think setting expectations clearly, whether that's uh, to your potential user base, whether that's even to your internal employees, is um, critical. Otherwise, you're going to be looked at as uh, someone who's uh, misleading and, and just saying anything just to, just to get uh, people on, on board. So it's, 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 a, it's important that um, whatever you communicate is, is accurate as, as possible. And if you know you're going to be saying something where it's a little bit sketchy, you're going to want to make sure that everyone on your team is, is on the same page and they understand why uh, this has to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, it's, 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 it's tough. But you, you got you got to find that balance. And and as is so often the case when when I, I bring someone on to talk about something, it, 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 we we start with kind of a, uh, a general talking point, and we kind of careen off into something else because I'm hearing you explain some of this, and I'm thinking about just how often people will talk about well, why why are they being quiet? Why are they saying this stuff? Why are they saying this stuff? And same sort of stuff with like Niantic and Pokemon Go and trying to get stuff together and and you know we t- we talk uh, I've talked about that with other people uh, on a previous episode um, talking about how uh, I think their community manager quit mm-hmm. and they were without anybody to make any external uh, like smooth external facing communications. Um, there are indie devs who don't have any community manager to try to do external facing devs and they can either come off like assholes or idiots. <laughs> uh, and, and so many questions you, you look at the comments under an article on Kotaku or something, and there's just so much complaining about why are people talking like this? Why, why aren't they being honest? And uh, there are certainly good examples um, a lot of people will, oh, I'm, I want to say CD Project Red, but I think their issue is less communication and more people just enjoy their, uh, stance on DRM and piracy and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, does not work for everybody. I'm, I'm sorry to break it to you, but, you know, if you're a little thing, you don't have a big built in box sale type audience, that can, that kind of stance on DRM can, can hurt you. Not necessarily will. Depends on what audience you're targeting and what their patterns are, but it can hurt you. But back to my point of, like you said, external facing communication, you have that so much care has to go into it that it, it's difficult. I don't want to say that it's easy to fall into, 
Rather, it's difficult to not fall into speech patterns that can sound like you're obfuscating something. Um, because yeah, actually another previous uh, episode, we were talking about the, the relationship. It might've been the same one now that I think about it, but talking about the relationship between developers and publishers. In fact, I think it was the same one. Everyone should go check that out. It was, it was interesting. Uh, but, um, a lot of the times because there's the, 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 the distinction between the developer and the publisher, the person who has to be speaking to the consumer doesn't necessarily know enough to not speak in an obfuscating way because there's multiple parties involved and they need to, in their interactions with each other, there, there might be someone, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is on like everybody at the developer or everybody at the publisher. Maybe there's one person who's pulling a CYA move, right? And because of that, you know, critical piece of information doesn't make it to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. And then the, the community managers can't explain that to the end users because the person who was initially withholding the information for maybe, maybe not necessarily even intentionally just didn't know that it had to get out. When you, when you, it, it's like a game of telephone, you know? Yep. 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 I, I think, I think, and that, and that happens, uh, in many industries, not necessarily just the game industry, but I think uh, any kind of any kind of organization or any kind of product line where you're where you have multiple people in multiple departments that are kind of siloed off, are you going to have situations where communication doesn't doesn't necessarily flow uh, properly? Maybe even um, the, some of the communication doesn't even have the proper context toward it to understand why uh, something is being said. So I think in those cases, and I think. Every single project or game or whatever it is, uh, if you have a strong project lead uh, and that lead is clearly identified as the lead and is provided with the expectations that he or she should know everything and communicate everything externally. I know, I know that's a lot to put on one person's shoulders, um, but I think that would be the best case scenario to get um, the proper information uh, filtered in a way, uh, whether it's internally or externally, um, that's actually accurate and uh, is enough for the users to understand what's going on without sounding too sketchy or, or uh, obfuscated in, in any any type of way. But um, to your earlier point about um, we're in this industry because we want to make fun things, games. You know, everyone when, when I when I tell people that don't work in the industry that I I, I work in games for a living. Their expectation is, you know, you really don't do very much. You're just playing games all day. And you don't have any stress. And <laughs> okay, okay. Let's let's just point out we work in the video games industry. That means we work in the entertainment industry. Yes. The entertainment industry is damned brutal. It, it definitely is because there's, there's a lot of competition out there, especially in free-to-play games. I mean, you've got garage developers just opening up shop and, and creating fun projects and, and fun games where – Users where the barrier to entry um, in terms of actually getting access to these games are uh, lower than ever. I've yeah. talked about that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 lower than ever. You're you're absolutely right. And um, the user uh, can access these product products uh, across the internet pretty easily. Uh, I know it's a little bit difficult on Apple to identify new products that are coming out that haven't been um, kind of pushed up to the forefront by Apple themselves, but. 
you know, I think for any indie developer or indie game maker, small, small time game maker, um, as long as you have a good game, you're, you're going to get noticed, whether that's uh, by through organic means or, you know, you, you push your game up to a publisher and they, they see it. Um, it's you're, you're going to get noticed. So it, it, from our perspective, while working in games is, is really, really fun and um, it's, it's, it's great, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Uh, it's it's still quite a challenge. So when you're when you're working on stuff where you feel like, you know what, as as much as as hard as I can as I can work on this game, there's still no chance it's gonna be fun uh, <laughs> to more than a few a few dozen people. So I, I think those are the cases where it's tough to find any kind of motivation that's gonna mm -hmm. actually gonna move the team in a way that's gonna be positive. So yeah. a your, whatever whatever product we're making, it's got to be rooted in some sort of fun. Whether the product is going to be successful or not is another story, but as long as you can, on paper at least, with a starting point, have something on paper that's going to be fun, not just a clone, I think you at least have a, a decent starting point. Yeah. Um, I, I, a couple of thoughts. Um, definitely, I, I you know, f when you start like looking at video games as art and start considering things about that way, that's that's when you know most video games are definitely in the in the realm of you know they need to be fun. I, I am definitely a proponent of of being open to other forms of games that aren't necessarily fun but interesting or bring something else about. I mean, I, I was I, I've talked with uh, Bill on other stuff plenty about games like uh, Her Story, which is definitely interesting. Not sure I'd call it fun. I got that Killer7 project I'm working on, which I swear to God is going to come out. Just hang with me, people. But that's a game that I'm not sure I could ever describe as fun. Uh, it's super weird. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, maybe maybe fun is too general of a word, but yeah, just it's something engaging. Yeah, exactly. I think that I think that's the critical word that would tie everything together is yeah. engaging. Yeah, yeah. It, it holds your interest. You can spend some amount of time and feel like you came away um, mm. with, with some sort of positivity. Whether that's fun, whether it's engaging, it's, whether you're learning, whether whether you spent your time in an enjoyable way, whether you came out having felt something new or felt in some way enriched. Or challenged, or amused, something engaging. Challenged is a great word because that's exactly how I felt when I started playing Clash Royale for the first time. I, I really loved it. I, I played it. When I started to lose and felt really, really challenged, I started getting pissed off. So I, I, <laughs> it, it didn't feel fun at that time. And it's part of the reason why I deleted the game and reinstalled it and deleted it and reinstalled it and deleted it. It's, it's one of those things where it, it affects my mood. In a negative way, when I start going on losing streaks, <laughs> I wouldn't consider that fun, but it's, it's engaging and it's a challenge. Yeah, Clash Royale is, is definitely one of those games where actually the um, that's one where I'm sure the people working on it knew that they had something because it, it evokes, it can evoke emotions like that in you. I mean, that's it, kind of a highfalutin way to describe a, a, a little game like that. But, you know, at the same time, like the first time I played it, I got my initial opinion of it. Which was essentially, there's some art to this, but in the end, you can be overwhelmed by people who just have higher level cards than you. Yep. And that's held to be true. And one of the big 
tricks with it and I'd, I'd be curious what their matchmaking logic is because certainly your trophy count goes into matchmaking that because you always match with people around your trophy level but if they also take like average card level or elixir cost average elixir cost of your deck into account for matchmaking i'd be very curious to know that um, but um another another aspect that that can be important in a game and, and can be important to your motivation in the game uh, is, or even your perception of this game is going to go anywhere. Because there's a lot of games too that like Mirror's Edge. I, I, I am, I believe the first Mirror's Edge was generally a flop, but kind of gathered a cult following over the years and may have eventually through digital sales after the fact and so forth wound up turning a profit. They make a sequel and it seems to have more or less the same reception where it hasn't exactly been well received by the market. Uh, but Mirror's Edge has unique stuff to it. It brings something new to the table. It gives you a new look, a new play control, that whole first-person parkour thing. It's interesting. You can certainly debate about how well they executed it. <laughs> I played through the first one and, and, and you know... Yahtzee's old review about saying, hey, you got this free-running thing, now let's lock you into a, a tight little corridor where you can't do any of it, and you have to just grab machine guns and gun down people. You know, it really comes across like they wanted to give you a whole lot more to do, and they just couldn't figure out a way to stretch it across a whole game. I mean, it, it really feels like the level design couldn't keep up with the concept. Mm. But that's that's kind of one of those I, I bring that up because one of the things that can keep you motivated in a game, even if you you think like, okay, this isn't gonna do well, but we're bringing something new to the table. We're showing people something new. Any game, any project should have some, some, even no matter how small, some new look, some wrinkle, some innovation, some new combination of things. And, like, you talk about uh, trying to find a nugget of good in things. I think that's probably a good place to look. Like, you're trying... And, and, and it may not... Like I say, it could be a combination of things. Maybe you're trying to to find a new sweet spot of casual to hardcore uh, appeal or ease of entry to gameplay. Something. There, there are certainly things that wind up unimaginative. There's things that have... Uh, high reaching goals that they have to scale back on brutally <laughs> to meet budget restraints and so forth. But I don't know. That's something that I, that I think is a, a pretty good source. Uh, it's something that should be considered for any project. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And um, I think the sooner you can identify what those kind of new innovative things are, whether that's, before you actually start on the project, whether that's during design phase, whether that's actually during production, I think once a team or someone on the team identifies, hey, you know, we should really be optimizing this particular aspect of the game because it's really unique and we can actually um, have users engaged in this more than maybe, you know, something else that we thought was going to be more interesting. You know, I can give an example, um, maybe a general example of, you know, you got a game, you got PvE, you got PvP. Uh, For those who don't know, PvE means player versus enemy, regular single-player stuff. Most people know that, but 
I think PvP is just a more common term. Ah, yes, yes. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, you got a, you got a single player game. You got uh, you know a multiplayer competitive game. For the most part, I think um, within the industry, uh, at least the people that I've kind of talked to and, and worked with, I think pe- most people think that PvP, player versus player, uh, multiplayer competitive aspect of games, is what's going to drive um, a lot of the engagement. Um, that's only if you do it well. If you, I've been saying that for years. And speaking of, like, I've worked on a project where that was applied in a very poor way. But continue. I'll probably yes, expand on that I, later. I probably worked on the same project that you're talking about. Uh, probably not. But <laughs> we'll, we'll continue. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, if if you don't do things well, um, people are going to either bail from your game or they're going to gravitate towards something inside the game that actually does well. Especially if you have multiple aspects of your game. Um, games that are feature rich. Um, and, you know, have certain elements, just kind of exploring around PvE element. If that's really fun and really engaging to people, they're going to gravitate towards that. And you got to make a decision. Um, is this aspect so fun or so engaging that we want to actually play this up more, we want to improve it, or do we want to kind of balance it out by making the other aspects more fun and more engaging? Uh, it's something you got you got to weigh. It's, it's something that uh, is going to take evaluation, it's going to take resources, it's going to take uh, really, really critical thought, and it's actually going to take uh, someone to actually stick their neck out and say, hey, you know, we've been working on this game for X amount of months, and this element of the game is actually more fun than the others, and we didn't actually expect that. Hey, let's let's optimize this, let's, let's polish this up, let's let's put more resources into this, let's actually maybe delay the game longer to, uh, to work on this more. Um, and that goes to the point of finding that nugget and optimizing it and continuously optimizing it because once you actually find that thing, that one little thing can actually help uh, people stick around. Uh, you may not think that, but um, I, I've seen it. I, I've, I've played games where there was one little thing that I really, really... I, I can actually give an example. Um, the Elder Scrolls series of games. Mm-hmm. Feature-rich, you can roll around, you can run around exploring, you can... You know, fight guys, you can go into dungeons, you can attack skeletons, you can fight bosses. Rob people. Rob people. Um, that's actually the point I was like, actually going to get to because my favorite part was actually sneak up, sneaking up behind people and just taking their stuff. Or when they, when they turn around, going into their cabinets and, and taking their stuff. I actually thought that that was really, really fun and I actually just spent hours and hours doing that in multiple games. You know, Daggerfall, Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim. Uh, it's all the same. So... Um, if you can find that one thing, uh, whether that's in in development or post development, um, and if it resonates with people, I'd say hammer away at it, keep polishing it. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things I wanted to to bring up there too, I said I was going to expand on that later. Um, the whole uh, philosophy that multiplayer is what keeps people coming back. I mean, the idea is. You can go through a single-player campaign, and when you're done, maybe you're done. You don't need to do it again. I mean, there can be some additional, like, achievement things or whatever, but, you know, the the idea is that if you have a competitive multiplayer element, that's something that is arguably inexhaustible. I mean, that's why, like, you can you can play through a fighting game time after time after time after time because the fighting itself is the point it's not completion um so that philosophy has been around for at least you know 15 years yeah i worked on a project 
where, you know, they, you know, big company, big project, Hollywood stars were involved, very well-known property, right? And in, in the, you know, big company meetings, they were referring to one of the guys who was kind of in charge of the multiplayer aspect, and they were announcing him as the guy who makes sure they come back for more, blah, 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 because it's multiplayer. It makes you come back for more, right? Um, but the multiplayer in that particular game, by the way, I, I, I think that the single player in that game was tremendous, and uh, they, they it had a multiplayer co-op mode. Mm. Which, in turn, is still a story-driven mode, not competitive, and therefore doesn't have that, quote, inexhaustible, unquote, quality. The multiplayer versus mode was, like, this horrible brawler thing (laughs) that nobody cared about or paid attention to. Like, it it was so feature-starved. It was... (sighs) There was nothing interesting about it. It, 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 it. it was, it's the kind of thing that you try once or twice and you're like, okay, I get it. There's no like challenge or diversity here yeah. and it's, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I can, I can actually uh, speak to some of that in uh, games that your audience may have played, you know, some of these, uh, some of these console sports games like Madden, uh, NBA 2K. Well, the multiplayer, player versus player aspect is fun and it's engaging. I personally like the mini games, and uh, that's what I spend almost all my time on. It's it's little mini games. It's it's, it's these 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 rather than playing a whole game where you're spending an hour sitting on your couch, you can just play for five minutes um, because the actual game mechanics are are pretty fun. And you know some of these some of these uh, some of these marketing campaigns that you see. Uh, for some of these games, really, really try to emphasize the the player versus player element, but I think they're to a certain degree. I think they're they're missing they're missing the point of really, really hyping up the part that uh, is actually fun to a lot of people. And may hey, you know, fun is very subjective, and my my definition of fun may be different than your definition of fun or anyone else's definition of fun. But I think um, I think if you overemphasize certain elements of the game, where they're not necessarily as polished or as um, as exciting as others. Is a mistake that um, that's a lot of a lot of game makers and maybe uh, maybe publishers, maybe marketing, uh, PR that they uh, they kind of miss the point on. Um, like you were saying, with that game you were just referring to, where you know the, the player versus player element wasn't wasn't any good and it was being hyped up with all these Hollywood stars. I'm sure that was. Some somebody's decision was like, "Hey, let's let's do this because it's going to attract the most eyes and attention." And clearly, that wasn't uh, that wasn't the best approach to take. Yeah, it was. I, I I don't know. I'm not even sure the marketing really mentioned it very much or something. It 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 just it kind of spoke to some of that mentality of oh, you had a you know like there's there's all these games that that kind of have multiplayer shoehorned in because you got to have multiplayer right yeah. and it's like well maybe it doesn't exactly work with this thing and yeah. you know and that kind of goes back to what we said before about how okay you know there's there's a deal at the very beginning and you think like it's it's like a recipe or something you have like first person shooter plus multiplayer equals money it's <laughs> like well your your first person shooter 
involves slowing down time, for example. So it doesn't really work well with multiplayer. <laughs> Unless you're going to have that affect everybody. Yeah. Or, I don't know, affects gravity. or Like stuff that doesn't work well. When, yeah, max pain, bullet time, multiplayer. It, it, can, you, can you get... Pull, pull that off or something yeah. or is it going to have a local effect or something i don't know yeah yeah some of those things are not well thought through um and that's that's to the to kind of the point we were talking about earlier where um someone at some point needs to identify what's going to be cool about this game and what's not going to be cool about this game you can try to iterate on stuff where you think hey you know maybe this idea isn't that great but we'll We'll brute force it into being great, mm-hmm. or we'll iterate on it until it is great. Or yeah, or or we're gonna find all the little things and try to make it a very smooth user experience. Because you know sometimes there are those those games that like they're very smooth but they're soulless. Yeah, yeah. Um, or sometimes there are those games that are you know they've got a lot going for them but they're very flawed. I mean, you mentioned the the the, the Elder Scrolls games. I don't think anyone's gonna call those like clean <laughs> yeah. when I went through Fallout 3 the, the thing I eventually learned was save often and on different files because <laughs> yes. you may need to back up through several of them yes that's 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 a, that's a Bethesda rule any any Bethesda game you play I think uh, and that's not that's not to knock Bethesda I mean Bethesda no, is a great, those great are, company and those are tremendously complicated games yes I it it's understandable that, and that's part of, and that's part of why they get that level of patience from the consumers for stuff like that is because they're quality games. They're very complicated, and we understand that. Like, look, they're putting together this vast playground for us, and it, for the most part, works pretty well. Yeah, we, we yeah. just got to be a little careful. Yeah, yeah. It's um, QA can only catch. So many things, especially yeah. in an open world game like, like those games. Uh-huh. I, I could imagine how sandbox many, games, man. Oh, uh, I, I can imagine how Grand, many. And Grand Theft Auto has a plenty of bugs in there too. I oh mean, yeah, it, and some of those bugs are fun. You know? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the bugs are actually pretty fun. Once <laughs> you discover them, or or even like um, uh, EA Sports MMA. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's those hysterical videos of someone taking videos of glitches and announcing them, like uh, <laughs> like Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> those are those 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 definitely can be fun. But I think we've both experienced games where glitches are not fun. I, I, can, right. I can actually refer to a, I think Acclaim's last wrestling game. I don't remember the name of it, but I think it was like I forgot what it's called. It was like the mid two thousands. It was like their last game that they were going to make before they shut down. Some TNA team. thing, I think. They uh, made. No, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a TNA thing. It was like a, it was like Legends of Wrestling or something. Oh like God. The game was fun, but there were so many bugs where you just have like wrestlers sliding around in the ring um, to the point where it, it it was it was a little bit ridiculous because it happened every thirty seconds. Um, Legends of Wrestling had such an interesting concept. It, the concept was great. That's why. Yeah, going that's back in the day to the territory days, and and I've lost all of my audience now. I'm sure. Uh. <laughs> but I mean that, that that's an example of where uh, bugs that do happen in games. Where the game isn't that isn't that complex, you know, relatively speaking, uh, can actually ruin ruin a game. Yeah, because because the when when we're talking about bugs in video games, the the main focus I believe has to be on the impact to the end user experience. You know, just because there's a crash, you know, 
and Fallout and all the Bethesda stuff. There's crashes all over the place. You might just crash walking down the trail. It's like, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> it just was unhappy with me. Um, maybe it was trying to spawn someone over there to, to have me encounter. I don't know. But uh, games like when when you have a whole lot of little issues, they add up. You may not even notice. You may not notice, but your brain does. Subconsciously, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, like terminology just being slightly inconsistent. The user interface being slightly inconsistent. Those little things add up to make a, an unpleasant user experience in the end. And to, to kind of take that and get back on the, the main topic, one of the reasons, I, I think the most egregious examples of these failed projects, not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, because there's some that can get into the state completely honestly. It's just, it's, it's a bad combination of things. Like it's a, it, okay, back to that. What causes the, a lot of these, I think, is because, like you said, you talk to people about them in video games and they think, oh, you don't have to do too much. It's fun. You just play around something. I think, ooh, <sighs> something like, uh, I, I almost want to, mm, should I mention, <laughs> I, I got to debate myself if I should explain something. But let's just say you have someone who wants to get into the game industry and they think either they know something, they have some insight, maybe they do, and they think they have the money to do it. Maybe they just think it's going to be an easy cash out and they try to start something and make some game that could either be, you know, a lazy cash in or a scam or something like that. There are people who want to do these things. There are scammers who want to make games as a scam. There are people who just want to get into the game industry because they're game fans, like money marks. They just want to be in it. It's like, ooh, I'm in the games industry. And, and so they have money and they start a thing, like as a pet project, you know. So, I mean, how much direction you can get from something that's a pet project from someone who's just a fan of games. You're not... Yeah. Or someone who thinks they have an idea and don't realize how difficult this is going to be. And they can't, um, again, can't quite give that leadership that's necessary. Um, and there's, yeah, there's just other, there's other examples that, that, that I can, uh, that I can go into and, and, no, I'm not going to go into what I was thinking about before. It's just it, it hits a little too close to home, but I think you know what I'm. Uh, uh, you can probably guess what I'm talking. I, I, about. I think I know what you're talking about. It's probably a wise decision for you not to talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> no. But but you know to to your point about um, again, it's a lot of these a lot of these issues stem from the beginning uh, and the leadership, um, and it's almost. The way I like to think about it is um, you know, leadership makes a decision. Everyone's got to follow it, whether they agree with it or not, uh, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but you're not going to get everyone to agree with everything. You, yeah. There, there has to be any at some point. There has to be a single vision through line that that people can coalesce around and follow, whether you agree with it or not. You just got to make the best out of it. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 getting everyone on the same page. Uh, is is paramount you have to do that early you have to do that um very precipice of the project otherwise 
you're going to have people just falling off. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen it happen. It's, 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 it's tough when it happens. Um, and finding a way to motivate people is always, is always difficult. You know, everyone's motivated uh, by different methods. And what I've kind of seen in, in my experience is some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by um, challenges. Some people are motivated um, because, you know, they have uh, a sense of uh, they don't want to fail. Uh, some people are just self-motivated. Some people are motivated by external factors that we don't even know about. And identifying what those things are, I think, if, if, if you're the leader of, of a project or a game um, and you've got people that, uh, that are working on this thing day to day, if you can identify what those things are that motivate people, maybe it's just talking to someone every single day. Maybe it's, that, maybe it's just showing a person interest. And that can actually go a long way in terms of having them kind of trudge through the difficulty of working on a game where um, they know it's it's not going to succeed. Um, you know, the way I like to think about it is, you know, especially at work, you've got to be around your, your, your workmates, your comrades, eight to nine hours a day. And um, you want to make those eight to nine hours uh, useful, uh, especially when you're dealing with other people who... Um, have uh, have different experiences, have different uh, knowledge bases. I think whatever you can extract during that time period over a course of a project, as long as you don't shovel it to the side and you actually try to learn as much as you can and apply that, at least the positive things, to what you're doing moving forward, I think um, regardless of the project succeeds or not, I think you as a person will uh, will benefit from the experience. So, you know, I've worked on many projects that have failed. I've uh, I've learned to use those projects and the learning experiences to my benefit, and I think it makes me stronger in the long run. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think as long as people at least try to think like that, it's tough at first. You know, your natural inclination is to blame this person or blame that person, but I think if you can find a way to um, gain something from an experience, whether it be bad. A bad experience or a good experience, I think, as an individual, even as a group, uh, you'll be you'll be strong in the long run. So, I think, I think leadership is is the group that should steer people in that direction. I think leadership should be, um, you know, if you're working on a project, you know it's going to fail. Leadership should be out there up front, uh, being honest with the people that are working on the project. At least with the people who are working on the project. Uh, Maybe not the end user customers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, this yeah. thing's garbage. It's like, <laughs> no, no. Or, you know, we think it's a, then you say stuff like, we think it's a strong product <laughs> that only 10% of the people we need to buy it are going to buy it. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, like being able to communicate that internally, just to be, to be honest, as long as you can keep people motivated to still do, you know, yeah. their fair share. Cause that's, that's the other critical thing is you don't want to, the whole point has to be to keep people motivated like we were talking about earlier. And definitely, if you're if you're working, like you and I have gone through enough stuff, and we've kind of talked about it. It's like all the stuff we've learned from the failed projects that we've worked on. We've learned all kinds of things you don't do, <laughs> either like how you develop, how you um, uh, 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 like deal with advertising, how you deal with a publisher, how you deal with a developer, because we've been on both sides of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how you deal with licensing, how you deal with um, uh, just personnel management, yeah. uh, how, how you deal with design, 
Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think there's any aspect of video game development that we have not seen a very big mistake made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think as long as you're 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 cashing those mistakes away in your in your memory, I'm not um, going to do that again. Yeah, I'm not going to do that again because I mean, honestly, ultimately. I think, or if I see someone else doing that, I'm going to point out that that's a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't have to be your responsibility. You can make observations on other people and, and bring that up. So yeah, and I, I think one thing that also helps is as long as you have maybe a longer term goal in mind uh, as you're going day to day, whether that's you know starting your own company, making your own games. I think if you have that as your catalyst in terms of how you approach things day to day, the difficulties that you deal with on a day to day basis at your current on your current project or your current game. Uh, will just be things that you're, you're going to learn from and apply to your next endeavor. Yeah. So don't don't get too discouraged if you're working on the things that uh, you feel like you're not going to be successful in because ultimately, as long as you're you're learning from them, you're going to be strong in the long run. Yeah, yeah. And that and that's not limited to video games, of course. Either there's no, all kinds of projects. That general, like, the, like like even Enthusiac's own Judge Greg has been open that he worked on something that was released. The only point of releasing it was like to fulfill a contract or something. Yeah. I, I don't remember the specifics, but clearly it wasn't exactly a good product. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they, it was just kind of like just <laughs> plopped out at the end. It's like, see, we delivered the thing. Yeah. Contract resolved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take away from that is I, I learned how to deliver something that I didn't want to deliver and I did it on time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Let's let's see how much we can pare back our budget and get away with it. <laughs> yes, you got to make it. I made a game of it. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. I took one unpopular project and delivered it for this much money, and for the next unpopular project, I tried to deliver it for less. <laughs> yes, make it a game. Set set goals and achieve those goals, whether how dubious they are. Yeah, you get it, it, so many of us just wind up in a position where you know it, it's it's kind of a cliche, but you got to play with the hand that you're dealt, and sometimes you know an executive deals you a hand, or some pre-existing contract deals you a hand, or geez, I don't know, there was a, a, a some marketing agreement, and it was contracted out to a developer, and a storm washed all of that developer's office away. I don't know. Stuff like that can happen, and so you have to find someone else to just, like, recreate everything super cheap and fast, and it's going to be terrible, but someone else is going to say, no, you have to do it now. We will not accept anything else, and you say, okay. <laughs> I can give you something. If, if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think we pretty much covered everything, and this is uh, this is uh, where we'll get to sharing stories. I'm going to start calling this segment War Stories, just so it has a name, at least, so I don't have to just explain it every time. So, uh, Mike, do you have any little war stories you have from your time in the industry that you'd like to share? Sure, yeah. I actually have uh, one that you probably um, know a little bit about. So I was working on a game. And we had a the leader of the game who was very, very opinionated and um, didn't necessarily agree with some of the recommendations that his team was giving. And this is in regards to a game where player versus player, multiplayer, was critical. 
um, to the success of the game. And the point that the team was making to the leader of this game was that we've got to close the cheating loopholes. <laughs> you can't have a PvP game where people can cheat and uh, and exploit because if you're trying to make money on this game, people are not going to want to spend money or time investing in a product where they think other people are cheating. The leader of the game thought otherwise. Uh, I think his perspective was that um, if people cheat, they're only cheating themselves, and no one's going to be uh, too too <laughs> offended by it. I think I think the argument that he was making was very very thin. I think it was very very weak. I think he was only making the argument because, as a leader of the game, he had to ship the game on time, mm. and any kind of uh, extensive cheat prevention would have added X amount of time and cost to the budget. So he was trying to make a straw, straw man argument of, eh, you know, who really cares? No one's really gonna, even going to find, no one's even going to know that other, other people are cheating. It was blatantly obvious that that wasn't going to be correct. And what we saw was when the game was launched, people started cheating. And people were complaining about it. Um, and it was pretty obvious because the game had replays, and you can see the replays of people cheating. So <laughs> it, was, it was pretty obvious that uh, that what we had said was going to happen. It did happen, and the game was unfortunately not a success. Uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't a success because there was rampant cheating, um, but I can definitely say that that was a contributing factor. The funny thing is that game had a lot of promise too. Oh yeah, is is I don't know, and that that's a really good example of a, of a game that you know I know what you're talking about. And early on, we thought, yeah, this 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 has a lot of promise. We could make a lot of money on this, right? Yeah. And then the the cheating example, and there was, there was actually a lot of examples of things that went wrong with that project, <laughs> and. It, um, we've had kind of a running gag that it always comes back to that project because there's so many things we learned from it. <laughs> yes. You know, and it goes back to what you said. It's like you're working on something and it fails. There's a lot you can take from it. I mean, there's, I, I, it, it's really difficult to impress on someone who hasn't experienced that individual project just how much we learned from that project. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's actually stunning. About two-thirds of things I try to impress on people I learned from that project. <laughs> yes. It's insane. Yes. There, I mean, there, there's so many. There's so many. And that's, you know, to the point where we were talking about earlier, where you're working on something, you know it's going to fail, uh, but you still got to work on it. To this day, you know, that project failed, but I don't regret a single day that I worked on that project because, like you were saying, we learned so many things, and we were applying a lot of those things to the project we're working on now. Um, and I would hope that the other people that were working on that project also feel the same because, um, you know, we worked on that thing for, I don't know, a year, year and a half. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, put a lot of resources into it, uh, had a lot of hopes. Um, but I can say that the, the lessons learned will stay with me for as long as I'm in this industry. So I think from my perspective, it was never time wasted. It was never a, uh, a regret, uh, associated with that, with that project. So I would say that it was in my book from my personal, uh, my kind of selfish, uh, dealings, I would say that it was a success because there's so many things that I know now. And if that project was actually successful, 
you know, maybe we wouldn't be here today. And I, I would say that uh, we're in a pretty good position where we're at now. Who knows? You know, maybe we could be in a better position, but I can say that we're in good positions now. So I would say that uh, everything that happened on that project, uh, while during the project, were, ch were very challenging. And I could say that now was a, was a good thing. All right. Cool. That was, yeah, that was definitely interesting times. <laughs> so, um, thanks for joining us, Mike. Yeah. Good luck on your project. And uh, let's see, what do I usually say at the end of the shows again? Oh, yes. Um, if there's anything you'd like to see me write about on the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about uh, here on Behind the Line Radio, can please reach out to me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. See you next time, everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Enthusiacs.